Hey, go ahead and grab some scripture. I, uh, I'm excited to get into the word with you guys. Uh, grab some hard copy of the scripture. Uh, use the Bible app. Um, whatever works for you. Uh, glad you guys are here again. Uh, if we haven't met, my name is Dustin. I'm one of the pastors here. And just last week, Adam got us started in a new series in the book of James. And I'm excited to take my turn here and spend some time with you in the scriptures. But before we really get into the passage in James, we're going to eventually be in chapter 1, starting in verse 2. But before we really jump in, we got to do a little bit of background work uh, in order to really understand where James is going to go, because James is assuming we know a certain foundation of information from the scriptures. And so here's that foundation. Again, if, if you don't get this part, some of what James is going to have to say this morning may be a little puzzling. And so here's the foundation that James assumes that we know. We as humans were created for unhindered, unbridled worship of God. And that may be just even a new phrase for some of you, even just processing what that would even look like. We as humans were created for unhindered, unbridled worship of God. Well, Adam and Eve chose sin like we all have after them. And from that point on, that created purpose of unhindered, undivided worship of him was shattered beyond our own repair. Nothing we could do to fix it, to get back to where we were. But God in his grace and mercy provided a way to get this, be declared holy and righteous again through Christ. Christ dies the death we deserve and through the resurrection he gives us his life, Jesus living his life through us by his spirit and so we are justified, declared righteous at the moment of salvation. That's the beautiful truth. That's justification, declared righteous, justified at the moment of salvation. But while we're declared righteous and set apart for His glory, we still struggle with sin. There's still something God is doing in us, right? Even beyond that initial justification at salvation, there's still something he's doing in us as believers even today. It's this process of God perfecting us, making us more like him. This is sanctification. And side note, this is much of what James is writing about. While Paul, we have all kinds of writings from Paul, and Paul tends to focus more on justification, James really focuses and zeroes in more on sanctification as believers. And if we're going to define sanctification, because that's one of those words that's kind of big, but we got to get it in order to kind of know where we're going this morning, where James is going to take us for defining sanctification. It's the state of being. And so it's two things, a state of being, which is justified and declared holy, and it's a process, being made holy. It's used both in scriptures, as a state of being and also as a process, being sanctified. And so to be sanctified is to be set aside and used according to our intended purpose, to give full and undivided worship to our Creator, Listen to some of these examples in the scriptures for sanctification. This is just a few of them. 
And you'll see both of those used here, a state of being and also a process. This is Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. For by a single offering, this is Christ's offering, for by a single offering, he has perfected, and so there's the idea uh, of sanctification, but he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. It's both. Do you see both there? He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter uh, 4, verse 3 goes like this. For this is the will of God. Anytime you see something like that in a verse, tune in, right? Anytime there's an author in the scriptures that say, hey, this is the will of God, tune in. Well, I wonder what it's going to be. For this is the will of God. Your what? Sanctification. There it is again. If we just flip over one other page, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, we get this. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. There's a passage in John chapter 17. It's called the high priestly prayer where Jesus is praying for us. And he has these words. It's amazing. Kind of gives you a, even an, another picture of sanctification. John chapter 17, verse 17. Jesus prays this. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And when I think about sanctification and I connect that with God's will. What's God's will for his people? What's his overarching desire for those who are in Christ? What's one of those places in scripture where the scriptures say, this is God's will. It's sanctification, the process of us being perfected. And so with that in mind, with, with that as the foundation, I told you guys we need to lay a foundation and now we're gonna dig in here. With that in mind, James has some things to tell us about trials, about difficult circumstances and you'll see where all this stuff kind of begins to come into play together about these times or even seasons when the crap hits the fan in our lives right and if you've been a part of our church for very long you've heard me say this before I think I started saying this the first year we were here that when it comes to trials when it comes to hard stuff in our lives one of three things is true we either just went through something hard, we're going through something hard right now, or what? Well, we're about to, right? One of those three is true for every one of us right here, right? And if we process what's going on in our lives, one of those three things is true. And so when we get to passages, and that's one of the reasons why we work through books so much of our time in the Word is that we get to passages like this, it may not be real fun to talk through, but are vital for us spiritually to understand, to have a doctrine of, of trials and suffering. And so, look with me. James chapter 1, and we're just going to read verses 2, 3, and 4 to start. And so here's how it goes. The first word uh, in the ESV, which I normally, uh, both Adam and I teach out of, is count. In other translations, it may be um, uh, consider. 
And so we're encouraged here to engage our brains, to count something or consider something at a head kind of level. And so even I can offer that to you this morning to say, can you think about something? Can you consider something kind of at the, at the head level here? Count it all joy, my brothers. Well, I wonder what it is that we're all supposed to count joy, that when we think about it, we're supposed to be joyful. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials. Like, oh, it's not what I was expecting, right? Consider it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. And I love that he included various kinds because when we read things like this, I think if the scriptures didn't say trials of various kinds, I think we may be able to say, well, it just says trials, but it doesn't say my kind of trial. So this wouldn't apply to my kind of trials that I would consider it joy when I face this kind of trial. But he says, no, various kinds of trials. Just think of all different kinds of trials. Yours falls into that. Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know, there's the engagement again of our brains, so you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or endurance. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete. Lacking in nothing. And I read that, and sometimes sentences like that, there's just so much in there. I'm like, well, I'm not sure I really understand what's going on here. And if I could summarize this and kind of put it in my own words, I would say consider it a win when you face hard stuff. That's challenging in and of itself, right? Because hard stuff, well, why would we do that? Well, it's, it's this reason, because the hard stuff in our life builds your faith and your endurance, which results in your sanctification, which again is God's will for your life. And we begin to start to put these pieces together, and, and as I begin to process that and just roll through it again this week, I realized that for me it was even a little clearer if I read it backwards. Now, this doesn't always work, and so be careful just reading scriptures backwards. But just think about this. If we're thinking about just the thought process that that we just worked through there, let's consider it backwards. God's will for you is sanctification. That's the end goal. That's That's what James just ended there with. God's will for you is sanctification, which comes when your faith is stretched, and your faith is stretched by hard stuff. So then we can consider it joy when we face hard stuff. Can we agree that oftentimes there's much confusion in us when it comes to trials and difficult times in our lives? Just a lot of confusion. We wonder, we ponder, we outright ask, why is God allowing this? Why am I having to go through this? And I think the most confusion comes when we don't understand God's will. Sanctification. Because I think we, we kind of get sidetracked so easily. If you're anything like me, we kind of get over on these paths where, where instead of understanding that God's will for us is sanctification as believers... 
We keep looking in the scriptures for the place where it says God's will for us is just for us to be comfortable, right? <laughs> we end up thinking that that's, that must be God's will for me as a believer is just, just my own comfort, just that God would give me a comfortable life. That's what our sinful nature leads us to. That's what the world tells us we should be about. And if we buy into that, that God's over arching will for us is really just to make us more comfortable and not sanctification. If we think God's main mission is to make us more comfortable, then of course trials and difficult circumstances are going to catch us a little off guard, right? If we think that's the default, God, you're supposed to just make my life more comfortable and then stuff happens in our lives. When stuff hits the fan, it just doesn't make sense if you think that's God's main priority in your life is just to give you a comfortable life. If our sole pursuit is just a more comfortable life and we think that God's will for us is just a more comfortable life, then we'll never be able to wrap our heads around the trials in our lives, honestly. But if we can get our heads around the truth that God's will for us as believers is sanctification, being made holy, conformed more and more to His image, then we can start to understand that the trials in our lives are one of the best ways to get us to sanctification. Most of us would look back at our lives and testify to this truth. And I think that's why James said, you know this. You, you know that trials produces faith. Trials produce faith faith produces endurance. You know this, and I think it's the same for us, right? If we were going to go around the room and kind of talk about the times in our lives that we grew the most spiritually as believers, if we were just to begin to recall some of those, right? I think there'd be a lot of painful moments in our past, and I was just processing for me, like the times I've grown the most are, are the times of most trial, that's what James is saying. Hey, you know this. You know that trials produce, produce faith, which produces endurance, which results in your sanctification. And I was just thinking about that more in depth. I've never heard anyone say, hey, tell me about the time when you really grew the most spiritually. I've never heard anyone say, well, let me tell you, vacation 2021. When I was laying on the beach, and it was just so good. I just grew so much spiritually. Those moments aren't bad, right? We need those moments. We need relaxation. We need those comfortable moments. But those aren't going to be the moments that the Lord grows you up the most. That's what James is saying. He says, you know this. You know that trials in your life produce faith, which produces perseverance, which results in your sanctification, this process of us being made holy. And so if we know this to be true, and if that's new to you, now you know it. A question. If we grow the most in trials, why are we constantly trying to insulate our lives and our families from all trials? I had to ask that this week, right? Especially as a parent. So you may be able to identify this with this a little more if you're a parent, but but if we know that we grow the most spiritually through trial and through hardship, then why do we spend so much of our lives trying to insulate ourselves or our family members from trials? 
Wouldn't it be safe to assume that this attempt could actually leave us weak and immature for us and our family members? I mean, isn't that the logical progression there? If God's goal for me is sanctification, and I want what God wants for me, and the vehicle to get there is trial and difficulty, then by His Spirit, may I consider it a joy when I face difficult stuff because it's making me more like who I was created to be. So, if verses 2, 3, and 4 are about our perspective in trials, uh, how we're to view trials, that's, that's what we just looked at. He said, hey, consider something different than what you're used to. Consider it a joy when you go through hard stuff because it results in your sanctification. That's our perspective in trials. Then verse 5 and following is about our action in trials. So if we've, what we've just looked at is how we view trials. This is the action in trials. What are we supposed to do when we face trials? It's the view and the do. I had to say that. It's the view and the do of trials. And so what are we to do when we're in the midst of trials? Here's the reality. When we face trials, when we're walking through difficult circumstances, isn't there, again, a lot of confusion and haze when we're walking through trials. That's pretty common, right? Uh, You may have said this before. This may be even where you are this morning. But when you're in a trial, when you're in something difficult, isn't it pretty common to say things like or to hear things from people that are walking through this, just feel like my life's upside down right now. I don't even know which way is up right now. That's confusion. That's haze when we're walking through trials. And so when we're in the midst of trials, well, what are you supposed to do? We're in this confusion and and haze. And sometimes it helps to talk it out with people, right? Uh, Maybe that's harder for us introverts to kind of talk through those things. But maybe that's what, how you may address it. You just try to talk it out. You try to seek wisdom from a friend, right? And I thought, wouldn't it be amazing to sit down with Solomon from the Bible? His wisdom, just to try to soak it in. And I was just running through this. My my brain goes to weird places during the week as I prepare, if you can't tell. And so I was just picturing sitting down with Solomon from the scriptures and just talking, the wisest man to ever live, and just to have a conversation, to try to soak up a bit of his wisdom whenever I'm walking through trials. And so maybe I would say, Solomon, how do I face this trial that I'm walking through over here? What do I do with my kid in this situation? Or how do I parent in this situation? Or how do I point a coworker to you who does not, uh, to, to, to the Lord who does not know him? And, and I would ask Solomon these questions. How should I manage my money? What's the best way to use my time? Solomon, how do I manage all of my wives? <laughs> just, just kidding. If you don't know, Solomon disobeyed God, had a bunch of wives. But maybe it's a bit short-sighted to think about seeking wisdom from Solomon. Maybe we realize the truth of what James tells us about wisdom and God in light of trials, and it's mind-blowingly simple. If we lack wisdom, all we have to do is what? Ask. And he gives. Let's see it. James 1, verse 5. And again, 
don't miss the context here. This is in the context of trials. It's obviously, uh, the application goes well beyond just when we're walking through trials, but James wrote this in the context of when we're walking through trials. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach. Some versions say without finding fault. He gives generously. And you can picture that he doesn't give it uh, like kind of with a chip on his shoulder of like, I told you you'd fail, you'd fall on your face. I'm going to give you some wisdom. Just, just don't come to me again next time. Uh, doesn't find fault. Gives wisdom generously. And it will be given him. That's how verse 5 ends. And it's this picture of us leaning in to God and his wisdom when we're walking through trials. That's the picture. Maybe I can clarify a bit here when it comes to asking God for wisdom. Trials are not the time to prove to God that we know exactly what to do on our own. We've tried that before. Not the try, it's not the time to try to prove to God that we've got what it takes, that we're super Christian and we can handle it on our own. It's the perfect time to turn to Him and fall fully on Him and His wisdom. It's a pretty quoted verse in the Scriptures, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. And if you're walking through trials this morning, if you're right in the middle of them, pay attention here. Trust. It's the first verse. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean. Don't put your weight on. That's what leaning is, right? Don't lean on your own understanding. I mean, how easy is that to do in trials, right? To put our weight on our own understanding, how we think we'll get through it, how, what we think we should do in the trials. That's exactly what the Scriptures tell us not to do. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. And I love this. How exactly does God give wisdom? What's the G word? Generously. That's how He gives wisdom. And again, begin to process in my head, what are some examples of generosity that may give us a a, a picture in our heads of how God gives wisdom? And of course, I thought of French fries. And so with generosity, here's where my brain went. And this is just a mental picture this week as I begin to recall and process how God doles out wisdom. Um, I uh, eat McDonald's from time to time. (laughs) That may be an understatement. When I eat McDonald's fries, I will rarely ever order a small fries. I'm always a medium or a large fries kind of guy at McDonald's. But recently, maybe it was trying to be more health conscious, I ordered a small fries. And I don't know if you've ordered a small fries from McDonald's in a while. I'd forgotten it was this way. But when they give you fries in the small fries at McDonald's, do you remember what they come in? It's an envelope, okay? Let's be honest. It's an envelope. (laughs) 
If you remember, if you order a medium fries, a large fries, it's a container. It's like a cardboard container. Uh, You could put stuff in it, but when you order it, you can go do this uh, commercial for McDonald's. Go order a small fries this week, and then they'll give you an envelope that has about six fries kind of stuffed in it, maybe one falling out, okay? I'm just telling you, you could, after you eat your fries, keep Keep your envelope. You can mail someone a letter in it. Just seal it up, tape it, mail them a letter in the McDonald's envelope. That's not generous, right, when we're talking about fries. And the way I know it's not generous is because of a different fast food place that I've had fries from before. Any guesses what that might be? Five Guys. Yeah, I heard it. Raise your hand if you've had Five Guys fries before. Okay, so for those of you that have not had Five Guys fries, um, I'm just going to give you some menu tips here. Um, Five Guys Fries, there's no reason for anyone ever to order a large fries from Five Guys. Because when you order a small fry, I'm just telling you, this menu tip, this is free, menu, free menu tip for Five Guys. Order a small fries, because what they do is, they, no envelope here, they give you a cup, and they fill the cup with fries, and then I've watched them do this because I was curious the first time I had Five Guys fries, I opened the bag. You guys know if you've been there. You open the bag and you see your food down there and it's covered in extra fries inside the sack. And so what they do, they give you a cup of fries and then I've watched them do this. They get another cup and they dump another cup full of fries just into the sack, just loose. And I look at that and I go, that's, that's generous, <laughs> right? I thought there was some kind of mistake. Some kid in the back dumped a bunch of fries in the sack on accident not a mistake, generous. And so when you have fries like that, you know what you can do? Share them with all the people at your table, right? It's enough fries. Again, family, you got somebody you're eating with, just order small fries, there'll be plenty, plenty to go around. That's generosity. How much wisdom does God give when we ask? Well, more than you'll need and likely plenty enough to share with whoever he puts in front of you. Right? When I think about the way he doles out his wisdom, it's generously. It's going to be more than, more than enough than I could ever need and likely enough to pass around to those that he puts in my path. That's how he gives wisdom out. It's a beautiful picture. And if you're still fuzzy on how God generously doles out wisdom, can we remember something? There's something else he gives generously without finding fault. It's his grace. What we're reminded of here is that our God is a giver. You're like, okay, Dustin, well, why, are you, why are you talking about God being a giver right here in the midst of trials? That, that he gives his wisdom generously, and just like he gives out his grace generously, why would that be important right here when we're talking about trials? Because of this, see, in trials, we can be tempted to think that God is a taker. Isn't that the first thing we think of when we go through trials? God, why are you taking this from me? We think that he takes things from us that we deem necessary for life. This is why it's so key to see God's generosity in those moments or seasons of trial. I think that's why James makes it a point to talk about how God gives wisdom. It's generously in the midst of a trial when our default is to think of God as a taker. 
He's offering to give us maturity, to give us growth, to give us wisdom. And unfortunately, when we're in those seasons, we either don't see it or we reject those gifts and in exchange just want comfort and complacency. We say something like, well, God, I don't want those gifts. No thanks on maturity, no thanks on growth, no thanks on sanctification, no thanks on wisdom. I told you I wanted to be comfortable and then we end up playing that role of the spoiled child on Christmas morning who rejects the gifts they've been given. And so maybe in our time, in these verses, he's speaking to us about our perspective of trials, how we view trials. We're considering a different way to view trials and our action in trials, asking for wisdom, begging him for wisdom. God, give me that wisdom that your scripture talks about and give it to me generously. So if we're wrapping this up, can I offer three things? First, even when we know and understand God's purpose in trials, usually doesn't make it hurt less. Can we just say that, right? Even when we see the truth here, we go, okay, that's, my, that's a perspective in trials that Scripture has. I know it and understand it, but it doesn't make it hurt less. And so if you're walking through a difficult season right now, this passage isn't saying... It's all for your good, so put a smile on and move along. It's not what we read. God cares deeply for you right in the midst of your trial, what you're walking through. More than you'll ever fully know. He has not abandoned you. Some of you need to hear that this morning. Remember we talked about, some of us already walked through it last week, last month, some of us right now, it's the people right now, you need to be reminded He's not abandoned you. If you're a believer in Christ, He's promised to walk with you through it. And that's personally. And then I begin to take it a step further and, and go, may, may that be who we are as a church as well. May we be a church who reflects that same heart. Christ is with us as believers through it. And may we be a church that walks with each other through the valley of the shadow of death as our Savior does with us. It's a good way you can pray for our church this week. The Lord puts that on your heart. Second, if you've never given your life to Christ, then you don't have His Spirit walking with you, living inside you, encouraging you in trials. Couldn't be more blunt. Scriptures couldn't be more blunt. I'd love to share with you after the service how you can begin a relationship with Christ who will never leave you or forsake you. He's a giver, and He wants to shower you with His grace and mercy and bless you with His presence forever. Third, when you ask for wisdom, it may not hit you all at once. And I remember younger in my faith, reading this, going, huh. <laughs> All I have to do is ask for wisdom and he gives it. Okay, let's give it a try. God, give me wisdom. And I remember doing this. I don't know if you've ever done this before. Maybe it's just me and I'm weird, but I remember opening my eyes going, I don't feel any different. 
I don't feel any wiser. And I remember trying to think of something wise to kind of test it out to see if God had given me wisdom in that moment. Get this. Over time, his wisdom will begin to manifest in your decisions, in your thoughts, in your daily life. And if it's not immediate for you, there most certainly will be a time down the road next week, next year, where you look back and can see his answered prayer in your life for more wisdom. We've covered a lot in our time together this morning, and I thought a fitting in today would be to ask to pray for wisdom. And Jake, you can come on up. Uh, we're going to kind of close out in prayer and in song. And so when we, as you process some of the things we've looked at in just these few short verses this morning from James, we're definitely going to ask for wisdom. We're going to get to that. But maybe he's also, maybe, maybe it's also, maybe in this time, a letting go of your comfort. Maybe it's letting go of comfort being your main pursuit in life. And you begin to understand, okay, God, uh, maybe just... Me being more comfortable in life is not your main pursuit for me. Maybe it's sanctification, and that's going to involve trials. Maybe it's an acceptance of the sanctification he's wanting to do in you, likely even through some trials. Maybe it's a remembrance of the generosity shown to you on the cross, right? As we, as we talked about how generously he gives wisdom and how that's reflective of how generously he gives his grace, or maybe it's just a simple prayer for wisdom to a God who gives it generously. Again, just like He gives His grace and mercy through Christ's work on the cross. I'm going to pause in our time here and not talk at you anymore. Just give us a little bit of time to process with the Lord. Maybe it's the simplicity of asking for wisdom. Maybe that's, maybe that's brand new on your radar this morning. You've never read that scripture, or if you have, you've still never, never stepped out and said, God, I, I do need wisdom. I've leaned on my own understanding a lot in my life. And it's gotten me nowhere. So I'm going to give us a little bit of quiet, just to pause and, and interact with him in prayer around some of the concepts and the truths that we've talked about this morning.